Welcome to Isolated Together, a podcast by the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. I'm your host, David DeRoche. Thanks so much for joining us today. I have a great panel of guests to discuss social isolation and how it impacts the elderly. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, I know a lot of news outlets have been focusing on social isolation and how it's impacting people generally. But I certainly feel like the elderly is a population of folks who are particularly impacted by this all the time. And then under the current circumstances, probably whatever they are experiencing is being exacerbated by the requirement to stay at home. So whatever social plans they might have had in the past, however limited they might have been for some folks, are even more limited now. And so we're going to talk to some folks about what we can do to engage with the elderly in this new environment that we're living in. And also what folks who are at home, the elderly folks themselves, what they can do to help themselves in these times. So joining me, we have a great panel. We have uh, Tia Murphy. She's a volunteer with the AARP Connecticut, and she's been a volunteer, I believe, since 2010. Is that right, Tia? Give me a thumbs up. Yeah, we're on a Zoom meeting, by the way, for you, for uh, those of you who are listening, um, which is any everybody. <laughs> so everybody who's listening is listening, not actually watching. Anyway, so uh, Tia is here. She's a volunteer with AARP. Very happy to have her here to talk about the kind of things that she's doing with the AARP in Connecticut to help uh, folks at home. Also joining us is Erica Michalowski. She is Connecticut's Community Outreach and Education Director at the AARP. Did I get that right? All right, great. And lastly, we have Nick Nicholson. He's an associate professor of nursing at Quinnipiac University, and he's studied a lot of these issues related to social isolation for the elderly. So, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. So, Nick, let's start with you. Can you just sort of lay out what social isolation is generally, sort of how you perceive it as a uh, as a researcher, and sort of explain how social isolation could be exacerbated on the, in the current environment that we're living in. Yeah, David, sure. Thanks for um, having me on here to talk about this topic, which I think is really important. It's important in, I think, all populations, but I think it's even more important in particular with older adults. Just because, you know, social isolation is a problem in general, and I think just like you mentioned, being asked to perform social distancing is something that everyone's being asked to do in Connecticut and in a lot of places um, throughout the U.S. So by doing that, that only exacerbates the, the condition itself. So let me start with what social isolation is, in, in my opinion. So based on my research and um, the, the literature in general about social isolation with older adults, we define it as a distancing uh, between um, individuals either psychologically physically or both from their normal networks, their desired networks, or their needed relationships with other people. So what does that look like? So it could be um, somebody who doesn't have the family, friends, and neighbors around them to communicate with. So that could be physically, that could be psychologically, it could also be basically they're not able to to feel like they belong, to connect with them. So by asking people to do this whole social distancing, um, which um, I'm also, in my opinion, not a fan of, of that phrasing, that terminology either. Um, I prefer to call it physical distancing because I think you know being socially connected is really important. But either way, being away from people can make them feel disconnected, disengaged. And that can be a really dangerous thing because there are all kinds of negative health outcomes associated with this. I mean, just by being away from people, you know, there, I mean, there are extroverts and there are introverts and all that theory about people liking to be around others and people not liking to be around others as much. But in general, people are social beings and we need to have people around to kind of perform regular social functions. So just by uh, being away from people, you can have, you're more likely to die. You have something called all-cause mortality, just in general from anything else, any other causes. You could be um, hospitalized, so your risks for going into the hospital increase. And as we know, being in the hospital, especially in the tri-state area right now, is probably the last place you want to be unless it's absolutely necessary. Also, people just feel like their quality of life goes down. So by not having connections, being socially isolated, they just don't feel right. People can also, especially older adults, have cognitive decline. So um, now we're talking about the dementias and, and things like that. People just don't feel as clear in general. And then that can lead long term to um, other cognitive issues. 
people feel more depressed, and then people can actually suffer from substance abuse um, as well. So all of these conditions are really bad just by themselves, but you know, if you look at them, they're also really, really expensive. So the last thing we want are people who are older adults, who are some of the most valued members of our society, to have all these issues, and then think of the cost uh, and the health insurance side and the hospital side, and given all of the conditions that people normally have on top of the pandemic, you know, we run the risk of really using resources that we don't have right now. So by keeping people connected, they're not only going to feel better, but that's going to help our healthcare system also. And I, I really uh, liked what you said in sort of the terminology, uh, you know, social distancing being some of something that sort of implies, you know, not even being social, whereas physical distancing, you know, is, is more, I guess, accurate in terms of what we're actually doing. And I, so I wonder just about the framing of that. Do you feel like when we talk about when we say social distancing, that people then sort of internalize that and say, well, that means I, I shouldn't be interacting, period. And do you think do you think that language has that kind of impact? I think it does. I think that we run the risk of having setting the foundation for people, you know, not even wanting to talk with each other. You know, we're learning more and more about this, you know, COVID-19 on a daily basis. Data is really starting to come out now. So we're getting a more and more clear picture. But for a long time, and even now, we certainly don't fully understand everything about it. Um, you know, we, we didn't know if, if it's a droplet precaution, if it's, you know, aerosol, you know, we don't really know how it's being transmitted. So this makes people really, really wary about uh, connecting with each other. So, you know, in neighborhoods, you've got people who maybe um, could be a little bit worried about, well, can I talk with people? How far away do I need to be? And, you know, the governments are saying, well, six feet's enough. But, you know, then there's like articles coming out to say, well, maybe it needs to be a little bit further and all that. And yeah, you could be a little bit away from people, but you can certainly wave. You can certainly say hi, as long as you have the appropriate distance. And, and that's really, really important. So I think the framing um, does need to change. And I would love it if um, we could just talk about like that physical distancing. You know, there's a positive way to frame things and a negative way to frame things. And I think when we tell people we need to have social distancing, um, you know, people, I think, internalize that as we need to stay away from other people and not connect with them. But I don't think that's what we really need to do in this case. In this case, we need to connect with people and engage with people even more prevent some of those things that we had talked about earlier as far as negative health outcomes. But if we just frame it as stay away physically from people, there's still a lot of opportunities to connect socially. And I, and I think that people really need that right now more than, more than anything, really. People need to feel like they're a part of a community. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting and a little bit funny. So um, I'm currently in Florida. I'm staying with my future in-laws who uh, are retired New Yorkers, moved to Florida. And so the community they're in is, is retirees and almost every single one of them are from New York. And so, you know, as we go out into the community and we uh, see folks engaging in social distancing, you know, we're happy. But then occasionally we'll see groups and they're just like, you know, just interacting like they normally would. And I was talking to one of them and, um, you know, he was like, you know, I, I'm old. He's like, you know, what am I going to worry about? He's like, I get this thing, you know, he's like, I get this thing and I die. He's like, I'm, I had a good life. And so I wonder if that's, you know, maybe he's an outlier. I don't know. Or, uh, I'll turn to you, Erica, from the ARP. Is that something you're hearing or folks just being like, you know what? Like, I just want to live my life and not even worry about this thing because, you know, maybe I had a good life. Wow. Um, it's hard to digest to think about that. One of the things that I think about in my daily work and in my life with AARP. And I have to say, I'm, I'm celebrating 17 years with this wonderful organization. So today. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. It's, it's probably one of the best jobs I've had um, in my whole career as a, a, you know, a social worker. I'm a community organizer at heart. And uh, so one of the things that I do each day is I interact with our volunteers and try to create that sense of community for them. And so we have these conversations each day through Zoom or Skype or whatever it may be, just a, a wonderful telephone call, and really just to keep them connected. And that really is the goal for us um, right now at ARP. We've been an organization that has been promoting health and well-being of older individuals at any stage of their life for over 60 years. And so this is no different of really trying to have them feel connected and valued and to know that any time in their life, there's purpose and meaning. 
And so during this time, it's been very challenging for some, especially with the term, you know, when you were talking about that, Nick, I remember you and I talking about this before, that it is physical distancing. It's not social distancing. And so the conversations can go like this. Well, when we can see each other in person again, we'll start doing that. Or when we, when we can all get together, we'll start doing that. And I said, well, how about right now? How about we talk about it right now? And so sometimes people just need a door to go through to understand their value and what they mean to others. So I think about that gentleman you were talking to, and I would say to him, you mean something in this world, and everything that you've done in your whole entire life is a gift to somebody else. So you do have value and you do have purpose. And so I would beg of him to, to value that because each person at any time in their life can have bright spots and challenges. And right now we're all having some, some challenges. So we have to find those bright spots every single day in our, in our life. Our organization right now has been, I'm just so proud of what we've been doing to try to connect people each week on Thursdays at one o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we have a conversation and there's different topics that we have. We've had one ranging from caregiving to managing your finances during this time. Uh, the one that I was on yesterday was uh, maintaining well-being and they had a psychologist on who talked a little bit about how, you know, you, you have those emotions that are coming to the surface at most inopportune times. And that's happened to me where I'll watch something on the television and hear a story or somebody tells me about somebody and, you know, I, maybe I don't cry in that moment, but then it comes out at a time when I don't want it to because it gets sparked. So there's ways to cope and deal with those times. And so we're giving a connection to people that are all feeling the same things all at once. And so I remember calling in yesterday and the phone line was, was to capacity. So I had to stream online. That's how many people are going on this. And we also have some other opportunities for people to connect. We have what's called the ARP Community Connections, and it connects people to online discussions, finding resources in their own community, managing your bills remotely, like all the things that we're trying to learn how to do now that we're all staying at home safe and trying to honor the social distancing or physical distancing. We also have volunteers that are really trying to be active because why do you volunteer? One of the main reasons is to be a part of a community. And so we have people that do what we call the friendly voice. So if you need somebody to talk to, we have volunteers. We have two here, two or three in Connecticut that are, are volunteering for that nationally, I think. So they can take their time that they have. They have a lot of time in their day and they're now giving back and talking with other people. So there's a lot that can be done to keep people connected. And that's the primary thing that I do on a daily basis in between all the meetings that we have at work. You know, I'm hoping that, you know, folks aren't necessarily looking at this as like the end and then just sort of like, you know, no matter how old they are, you know, whatever, if you're, you know, you know, no matter what age and you just see this as like an inevitable end and then just sort of like, you know, accepting that and then that just sort of impacts how you do everything. And I just imagine that being a, a pretty sad snowball. So Erica, um, just following up on that, what do you feel like people are doing now to sort of like address this issue? I mean, you've already touched on a few of those things uh, specifically, but are there any sort of like creative and uh, or novel uh, solutions people are coming up with to stay connected? Yeah, I have to say there's quite a few that I find interesting. I love that we still value the phone. <laughs> so people that are not technically savvy, which I, I'm one of them. Um, I love using my telephone and that's wonderful, especially uh, I live in, in, in an area of Connecticut where we sometimes don't always have good internet connection. So it's always nice to know I can rely on the phone uh, to stay connected. Letter writing. Uh, we have what we call community groups of our, our volunteers where sometimes they'll do a phone tree just to check on each other to see how they're doing. One of the volunteers that T and I know, she was telling me about something that they did in their town where there's a person that does trivia night each week as a part of just what their community does normally. So he decided to do it like a drive-in 
like a drive-in movie kind of thing. So he had, you know, the cars and they all came up and they all played the games. So that, but they were all safe in their cars. So that's a way to think outside of the box of things that you can do to make things fun. Some other friends, they did plays <laughs> and they would all get on Zoom and so they would act out parts and the grandmother and the grandpa, you know, so everybody was acting out parts of a musical. So that was just kind of a fun thing that I, I heard about. My friend who was a school nurse, all the uh, teachers and staff that were from her school, and she, it's an elementary school and another school, they missed the kids. And so they all drove their cars. It took four and a half hours to wave to all the children in the community. And, you know, they were beeping their horns. And at the very end, a big rainbow came out. So, you know, it's really beautiful to see what people can think about to, to get people to stay connected, but even more so just to make people smile. You have to find that joy every single day in your life. And so, you know, my favorite thing to do, I'll just share with you what I love to do every morning. And Tia knows this about me. I take pictures of the sunrise. I get up very, very early and I try to capture just that beautiful light in the moments as it changes. And then I share that with people either through a text message or on, or, or on a social media platform just to brighten somebody's day. And I think, oh, no one's going to like this. And then I see everybody commenting, oh, here's my sunrise. And you just started something that would maybe make somebody's day because you just don't know what their day is going to be like. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I, I'm just seeing all those things you're describing, like people in a drive-in. And it almost seems like we're getting a little retro, right? The things that we used to do are coming back because, you know, we kind of forgot about them, but now we're kind of combining those things with with modern technology, uh, doing plays on Zoom, you know, plays having been a, an art form for a very long time, can find a new medium through Zoom. It's just so fun. What's also really interesting for me, uh, just as an observer, situations like this, you know, to use an analogy of like a ship that looks beautiful, it's, it's cruising along, the ship being the United States. And then, you know, when the storm comes, it really tests how the ship is built. And so we see all like the weaknesses of society through like how the ship is, is leaking here and there. But at the same time, you also see like the stars, the, the heroes and the people that are really keeping the ship afloat and they really shine. So it's had this really dramatic effect on me to really realize, okay, these are some really significant weaknesses our society has. But then, wow, look at all these strengths. Uh, at the same time, you see all these people really like uh, stepping up to the plate, becoming creative and figuring out ways to deal with all the elements, not just, you know, the social isolation, but every single thing that, that we're dealing with. So thank you for taking pictures of the sunrise. That's a long way to say thank you for that, because I feel like little things like that probably go a long way. So Tia, let's turn to you. You're, an, you're a volunteer with the AARP, been doing that for 10 years. Uh, obviously, this pandemic has changed everything in terms of how we do everything. Um, but for you specifically, how has it impacted you? What sort of adjustments have you made to try to stay active with volunteering and, and make sure that you're still reaching the folks that you used to reach uh, normally? Great question. Well, first off, I'm the Connecticut State President for volunteers. So for me, I think it's very important for me to model behavior. So, and share with people, not as I'm a star, but so much as showing people what I'm doing, not so much telling them what I'm doing, but showing them what I'm doing so that it encourages them to do other things too. I'm also chairman of our local library and the library got the town, but we wanted to keep our employees active and working. So what we said was, if we were going to have a virtual library, what would it look like? So... All of a sudden, many of the things that we had been doing, you know, buying new books, well, we were buying audiobooks, we were buying Kindle books, we were putting money into electronic resources. We realized that we had these hotspots and we had some kids in town who couldn't get internet access. So we loaned those out and trained people how to use those, those hotspots we allowed the town to use our parking lot for a big food drive that we had that was just tremendously successful because one of our local pantries was having a hard time um, keeping supplies and people didn't want to go there. So we just did it in one spot and people just drove up and they were like, wow, you know, so we've been doing that on a regular basis. I think the, the thing that's been the most challenging has been this physical distancing from people 
because I live in a neighborhood where people are very huggy, you know, and, and there's a lot of kids in our neighborhood, so the kids are pretty huggy. And so it's been interesting to watch as, as you're walking, because we also walk a lot, you know, watching people sort of step back from you a little bit, and, but yet they, you can see that they still want to engage. So we've been trying to figure out ways that we can get together with and be together with, with keeping the distancing, but still being social. So for Easter, I think what we're going to do is one of our neighbors has a really beautiful backyard with a big open porch. And we're each going to bring our lawn chair or whatever we want, a glass, our, our favorite beverage, whatever that is, and food that we've made. And we're going to be distanced appropriately from each other, but we're going to get together and share because we do it every year. And so it was like, how do we do this without, so we're not in anyone's house. And, and the other thing is, you know, as soon as somebody needs to use a facility, you have to go home because you are not using somebody else's facilities. So that was, that was the one rule that we had. And that really, we had a lot of, I had a lot of neighbors who, Easter's such a big holiday for them and Passover. It was like, but how do I cook my food? How do I share? And it was like, okay, so cook for the people in your home and we'll share in this, in this sort of other way. Um, the other thing that we've been doing are some virtual happy hours, which I guess a lot of people have been doing, but that's been fun. And it, it's been fun to watch. <laughs> we've got somebody who calls a theme, so you have to dress up for the happy hour. So, you know, it could be Great Gatsby, it could be Downton Abbey, it could be, you know, your favorite whatever, cartoon character, whatever it is. And so you come dressed and, and everybody has to, you know, the only way you can participate is all equally sharing in that. And that's been kind of a funny thing too, because you see people's creativity. I think just keeping in touch with people. One of the things that, as Erica was saying, you know, there's a big AARP meeting, but locally every Tuesday we're doing a meeting for our, all our volunteers. And we have an agenda. We have, a, you know, a regular set of things that we go through, but it's good because everybody feels like, oh, I'm still in touch. I know what's going on, not just nationally, but I know what's going on in my little neck of the woods. And we always have an open mic time where people can share what's going on with them. So I think for me, it's been a really interesting introspective time because you're really seeing the best of people and the worst of people. And like that fellow who was saying, you know, what does it matter, you know, I had this with a neighbor of mine who was like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do this, it doesn't matter, you know, a real New Yorker kind of attitude. And I just said to him, okay, but here's the thing. You're thinking me, and I gotta, we got to all think we, because you're being out there, you're doing all that stuff, you could give something to me. And I, I've, been, I've been really, you know, doing my good doobie part, but you haven't, and I don't know that. And we interact in a way because you're telling me, oh, no, I'm, I'm cool, I'm, you know, I don't have a problem, and all of a sudden you could be giving something to me, you know, and so it was like, oh, I didn't think about that. I have two neighbors right now. One is a, um, an intensive care nurse, and the other one is a police officer, and both of them have tested positive, and it's tough because they have to quarantine in place their whole family has to quarantine. And that's been a really interesting thing to watch the neighbors, you know, drop food by, you know, call on a regular basis. We've got a whole chain of, of emails and, and what can we do? How can we do things? I saw a neighbor out the other day was mowing this fellow's lawn because he's not supposed to be out and doing anything. So one of the neighbors was like, well, I was mowing my lawn. It didn't really matter. I just go next door and mow Mike's lawn. And I know he's, because Mike was watching the whole time and showing, telling him all the things that he had missed and the parts <laughs> he wasn't doing it right, which is so Mike, but that was perfect, you know, right? So it, a, a beautiful demonstration of that, but it's, it's challenging. I'm also going to school for a, a certificate in gerontology right now, and we've been having our classes on, uh, you know, virtual classes, and that's been really interesting because... I'm listening to people of a different generation and how they're dealing with this and how I'm dealing with it and, and our life experiences have been so different. And um, 
Eric and I were talking about this earlier. It's like trying to express to them that, you know, I know this seems like it's never going to end. And I know it seems like it's never going to be good again. But you know what? I've been through so many different things in my life. You know, I'm 66 years old. A lot has happened in the last 66 years. And we've been through some really traumatic things. But the thing that I, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be different. But that's okay. We'll find different ways of doing this. But hopefully it's taught us some different behaviors and attitudes and ways of approaching each other that, that perhaps we didn't think of in the past and, and should really enrich us. And yeah, we want to get back to, to doing our regular things. But like I was telling my nephew the other day, he was bemoaning the fact that he couldn't be at his favorite sports bar. And I was like, okay, yeah, so if you go there, what would you be watching anyway, right? There's no sports. So, you know, you want to watch old NFL programs? Who cares? You know who won. You know, you know all the things that happened. But, but think about it this way, by, by your doing what you're the part that you're doing you're helping to be able to have all of us come back into our lives as quickly as possible so you know bear with it you know learn a little patience it's tough you know just the fact that social norms that we've had for probably centuries right might have gone out the window like we probably won't be shaking hands anymore <laughs> i can imagine some people might still but i can imagine a lot of people saying you know no more shaking hands and and that being socially acceptable um hand washing is i imagine people are going to be washing their hands a lot more frequently no matter what moving on i hope hopefully right just you know, keep them moisturized. I think that's the key. Uh, my my hands have been so dry. I have like I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing with, to, to moisturize hands. I'm not a lotion person, so I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm just returning to my fiance and being like, help! And I think you really hit the nail on the head uh, when you're talking about your neighbor who was like, you know, I'm gonna you know go out and do my thing. And I think a lot for a lot of folks who have that sort of rugged individualistic mindset, um, you know, I'm just going to take care of me not really understanding that, you know, that sort of desire to be free and to live in your liberty could potentially put others at risk. And I think one of the things that an epidemiologist said recently that really nailed that home for me was that if you have the flu and you go about your daily life over the period of time of your sickness, you will likely give that flu to 14 different people. If you have the coronavirus or COVID-19 and you do go about your life, you will give that you could potentially because of the exponential nature of the illness and how how contagious it is. You could give it to fifty nine thousand people. So the level of contagion of coronavirus, I think, is something that we it, we can't even really. And that's why we're right. That's why everybody's saying stay at home because it's so exceptionally contagious. But thinking about that is is challenging because it's so new. Right. And especially for folks, I can imagine, who are older, um, having lived the, their life their, a certain way their entire life maybe being less uh, likely to change in their ways. I know that's the older I get, the more likely, the more stubborn I get and the things that I want to do. I can imagine it could be challenging adjusting to this, to this new, uh, to this new way of life. I think another thing you pointed out to you, um, which was interesting. I love how you're going to meet with and do your Easter thing, but just be socially distanced. I can imagine I was, I was thinking about my family, which is Italian, very loud. Right? It would not be a challenge right, to, to hear each other. Right? You just talk normally because we were normally screaming at each other anyway. So it would just be like a normal, uh, a normal Easter Sunday. But, you know, maybe for families that are not as, you know, annoying and obnoxious it might be a little bit of a challenge. Maybe they have to, you know, I don't know, talk to each other over the phone or something while they're across the way or get some CBs or uh, CB radios or something to chat with each other. So I just wondering, Nick, for your point of view here. Do you feel like there are emerging solutions that you think will stick or are these things, do you think they're sort of temporary uh, and they'll only be around while this is happening? Or do you think there, that maybe some of these things we're coming up with are some solutions that you know could be beneficial in the long run? Yeah, I think that the, some of the solutions that we're coming up with are really getting back to the core of what makes people social. What makes people, um, you know, engage with each other? You know, thing we talked about, just the telephone, picking up the telephone, just calling people. There's nothing um, particularly, you know, technologically advanced about that. It's really just the act of reaching out. And I think those kinds of things, like that basic drive to connect with people and just finding a way to do it is, is I think, going to stick. And I think that's going to continue forward. You know, whether it's sending smoke signals or sending a pigeon or calling or being online or Skype 
the Zoom, whatever video chatting people use, I think that is going to stick because people now realize what they had was sort of um, in some ways taken away sort of suddenly. And then there's a way that people need to cope with that and, and understand what happened. So you could, you, you know, people a lot of times will say, well, you know, I'll just call tomorrow or I'll just go see them tomorrow or I'll do this tomorrow. I'll pick this up tomorrow. And then I think for a lot of people that tomorrow suddenly got taken away and it was like, oh, well, I was going to go see my parents tomorrow. I was going to go visit this or I was going to go on vacation. So I think in some ways people will kind of continue that moving forward because I, I'm one of the people who doesn't think that there's going to be this time where it's like, okay, the switch is now off. We're, we're all set. We can just kind of do what we used to do and we're okay. You know, I think hand washing, lotion, perhaps, and those things will probably be a part of our, our daily lives, you know, in the foreseeable future. But I don't think there's going to be this time where it's like, okay, we're all set. We can just kind of get back to normal. I think we're going to have to adjust. And part of that adjustment is going to be how are we going to be social in a, in a meaningful, purposeful way with our family and our friends and our neighbors. Having everything sort of taken away or change things quickly is, I think, had people really have um, had a chance to look at what's important to them and who's important to them and how to reach out to them. And then scheduling things, I think, is going to be really important. So for people like me who are not, uh, I'm not a really great planner, I'm sort of a procrastinator a little bit. So I'm finding myself having to plan and set that alarm clock and get ready. And, you know, the last thing I want to do is be, you know, eating lunch at three in the morning. You know, it sounds fun, but you know, it's not really good for engaging with, with anybody. So um, I think that's going to be something people are going to continue forward. You know, I think that sense of, of loss of control probably has a profound impact on a lot of folks, because I think generally as a society, we're not so good at living for the moment. And I think generally a lot of us are thinking about things and or thinking about at least tomorrow, right? Like, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? And then but having to sort of rearrange priorities, having to sort of rethink how we approach everything, knowing that there are some things we just cannot do, at least for me personally, like right now, my podcast setup, I, you know, I, I could show you, it's just like a, I have this hanging from a string and then it's like, you know, draped over a closet and then, you know, and then I have another computer on my lap here. I, you know, it's just, it's so precarious. Like if I sneeze, the whole just come collapsing down on me. I loved your um, your hookup there, you know, and that reminds me of, you know, people are trying to do things in a different way. So if somebody can't go shopping, my friend was saying, my mom is driving me crazy because she really wants to go shopping. And I keep telling her it's not the time for her to go. And I said, well, you guys FaceTime all the time, right? She's like, yeah. I said, well, then take your phone with you, go to shopping and go up and down the aisles like you would if she was with you. And she was like, you're kidding me. I never thought of that. And I was like, well, you know, she's with you. She can look at all the stuff. She can now see that you weren't lying to her. There is no toilet paper. Your favorite ice cream is not there. Okay. So yes, I know you love buyers, but Turkey Hill is all we got. Okay. So sorry. It's either Turkey Hill or nothing. You make the choice. And she was like, so she called me up when she got done with this. And she's like, it's brilliant. I'm telling everybody I know to do this because she got to share the experience. It was a different way of approaching it. It used the technology. Her mom felt very comfortable with like, oh, okay. So, you know, it's not like she's just going in and out and, you know, really ignoring what I'm asking her for. It really doesn't exist. It just made it all that much more and sort of like your setup. You know, this is one of the things I think is really fascinating about Americans is that we are a very inventive people. And I think recently we have not had to be so inventive and creative because so much has come to us. You know, you have food that's made for you, this, that, and something else that's made for you. This has made us stop for a moment and think, how do I make this for myself? How do I make this for others? And, and I really, call me a cockeyed optimist, but I really think this is making us all think about these things a little differently. How do I interact? What are fun? I mean, we never would have had a costume get together happy hour, right? But it's been so much fun to do that. And, and it was like, you know what, when this is over, we got to think about this because this could be fun. So it, it, 
I, I, I think back to what Nick's saying, yeah, I think it, it is going to change certain things, but maybe it'll change it in ways that we're not even aware of. And perhaps we'll turn off that TV a little bit more and turn off the internet a little bit and step outside and be with others and be so thankful for being able to, to be out with others once more that, that, that you know, we'll, we'll be thinking about the social interaction that we now begin to engage in a little differently and, and perhaps be a little more generous of spirit and lots more creative, I hope. You know, I, I definitely get that sense, at least for um, for myself and sort of interacting with folks like the, you're talking about the virtual happy hours. You know, I, I think for me, my biggest fear is the virtual happy hour extends for like three hours and then I end up, you know, spilling something on my computer and then I got no interaction with anybody. And then I'm like, oh, God, what, what am I going to do in my life? But yeah, I feel like these innovations that we're coming up with, and I think Nick pointed to this as well, could carry on and they would never have occurred had we not, you know, uh, been exposed to this, this situation. I think it's 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 really interesting that you know here we are coming you know uh, coming to grips with this pandemic, creating new ways to do different things, and I'm I'm really fascinated by this idea that we can actually have fun in a situation where uh, things seem pretty dire, right? You turn on the news, you read the newspaper, you 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 go through your 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 feeds, and you see just you know these massive terrible headlines. But how do we actually maintain some sense of sanity, knowing that there's this really scary reality? And I think, you know, especially for older folks who um, might be experiencing things in a different way because of their situation is is unique. Maybe they can't leave their home. They have, haven't been able to leave their home for some time due to illness or inability or lack of mobility. You know, finding ways to entertain themselves, creative ways to entertain themselves and, you know, that maybe they have been doing those things to begin with because they have been physically isolated. So maybe... We turn turning to those folks and be like, "Hey, what have you been doing? You're, you know, for the past couple of years, being physically isolated from folks to entertain yourself." And you're turning to those folks for the innovation because they've already have sort of been innovative in in this way just by necessity. So many interesting things. I, I would like to turn to each of you now to maybe. Do you guys have any other other fun or interesting or funny stories? Because I, I really feel like humor is a really important way that we can cope with situations like this. Just you know, having fun, laughing at situations. Uh, Anybody have any like you could just feel free to raise your hand if you have like a story that comes to mind of something kind of funny or or uh, light that uh, has come of the situation. Maybe, you know, it was a serious situation and some of the way somebody dealt with a serious situation just brought a smile. All right. I'm getting one from America. Go ahead. Well, it's um, I, I just have to say I love this conversation because what's happening right now for for people of every generation, it's not just the older generation, is that we have been really thinking about people that have been isolated physically prior to COVID-19. And what this has been doing now has been opening the door for people to actually see someone else's circumstance, walk in their shoes a bit, and really understanding that loss is loss. There's loss of life, but there's also a loss of what your life you thought was going to be every single day is different. Um, and, you know, this is kind of a sad, but a funny um, very, very close friend, one of my college roommates, um, lost someone very close to her because of COVID-19. And she's telling me all about it. And um, she's crying and crying. And she's and we're both crying, talking about it. And there was this moment where she said, and I have no tissues. <laughs> and she, you know, it was like we both just burst out laughing because, you know, everyone can relate to that, that, you know, you're rationing your tissues, you're rationing your toilet paper, which is so strange, but it's because we're not getting it fast enough. And somebody else told me that the reason why we don't have toilet paper is because uh, the, the manufacturers aren't making them for the, the, uh, the restaurants or places where we used to go, you know, like all these, you know, theories of why we don't have toilet paper, but it's just that leveled the playing field of, yes, we're all grieving about all these different things that we can't do anymore. And the, the, the great loss of life that we're seeing, but there's these times in history that has told us throughout the course of history, even the most horrible, horrific times, people found those moments of joy, playing music, remembering songs, telling stories, writing poems, writing novels. What can you do with this gift of time that's been given to you in honoring that? So, you know, those are the kinds of things that really make me hopeful and happy that 
something really beautiful can come out of something so horrible that's going on in this world. So hopefully that's what you were looking for, David. No, that's perfect. Of course, it relates to toilet paper and tissues. I mean, it's like, I think for me, it's when when the first thing that started disappearing was toilet paper. I was like, toilet paper? Of all the things to hoard, toilet paper. I mean, first of all, it's such a Western thing to hoard. Like uh, most places in the world, you know, they wash. They don't even really use toilet paper. So like, it's just it kind of for me, I was just like, there's so many things, water bottles like or canned goods, I would imagine would be the first to go. But it's toilet paper. And and it's still it's still an issue like a month in, like it's hard to find toilet paper. I, I it's, it's beyond me. Anybody else have any funny stories they want to share or yeah, Nick, do you have one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I definitely do. I think um, I have a, um, a friend uh, and colleague who um, has uh, younger children and everybody's sort of finding their way as far as the work environment and managing home life and family life and, and also this whole intergenerational aspect of things as well. So there are, you know, calls from parents or grandparents coming in and then there's uh, little children sort of running around and this person was sort of trying to figure out like, well, how can I, um, how can I manage all this, um, make this time efficient, make this time beneficial? So she actually connected her younger children with her parents and had her parents read these younger children um, a story. So they were doing uh, basically virtual babysitting. So it allowed her and her husband to, to do their work online um, at their job while it allowed their her parents to be connected with their grandkids and it allowed the grandkids you know, to do the same thing as far as being connected and sort of, you know, they were able to read the story and some of the books they had at both houses. So they were able to sort of follow along, but it would be like sort of, you know, showing the picture, reading the book. And it was just kind of this like nice thing that they, you know, probably wouldn't have done because they're not living really close to each other. They're not in the same state. So the idea of reading stories is kind of something that's usually reserved for, you know, like bedtime or nap time. It's like a really close proximity kind of activity, right? So in this circumstance, because of the internet connection and the necessity, it was like, yeah, these grandparents have this opportunity to connect with these young kids. And I thought it was just kind of like a really cool, nice way to kind of find a silver lining and something that probably could have been a real, was a really stressful situation for sure. I can imagine after this whole thing goes, uh, goes away, those parents saying, Hey, remember that thing you did when during the pandemic, let's do that again. And then it becoming, you know, after maybe a couple of months of that grandparents being like, we've been doing this like every day, maybe you should try parenting a little bit. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can see some folks, some parents taking advantage of, of that, uh, as we move forward, but great solutions. I love that. Tia, do you had something to add? So I was in a very intense conversation with our library director as we were trying to figure out how to do some different things. And all of a sudden I hear her son in the background who I, I, I know, and, and I can hear him asking her something, but I can't make out what it is. And finally she said to me, I'm putting, I'm putting Brian on the phone. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And, and he's like, listen, there's this bird in my backyard. I'm a birder. And a lot of people know that. So he, he starts to describe this bird. So I'm like, well, you know, you really need to show me a picture. Okay. So he picks up his mother's iPad that we're having this conversation on, goes outside and shows the picture. Meanwhile, his mother's like, stop, stop, don't do that. We're in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> so we figure out it's a Phoebe. It's one of the first flycatchers that comes at the beginning of migration. We talk all about that. And he gives the iPad back to his mom and she says, I'm having him call you every day, every time he sees something, because I cannot have him do this again. And she's like, he's driving me crazy with these birds, you know, and everything else. And you know how to talk to him. So I just thought that was a kind of like Nick's story about the yeah. babysitting. But it's the same kind of thing. You know, we, we all can share. We all can do different things. We did resolve our problem, which was which was a nice one. And we never lost our connection. And And that young man has been sending me pictures almost every day. So. That's been fun. I love that. So uh, I got to pick your brain as a birder. So um, I, uh, my fiance and I recently got it, got a bird feeder and been identifying birds. But you said a bird that I had not heard a Phoebe. What is that? An Eastern Phoebe. It's, um, it's about a sparrow sized bird. If you're familiar with the Junko, it kind of looks like a Junko. Yep. Okay. It has a 
grayish brown head, um, a gray body, and a white underbelly. And it does this sound that says, Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe. <laughs> That's its call. It does it four times. And okay. um, it likes to nest near your home because your house has always got a lot of flies on it, which everybody knows if, if you have a wooden house like I do because the woodpeckers are there all the time mm-hmm. and all the other birds. So, yeah, it's, it's one of the first birds that comes and it's very, very territorial and loves to scope out its spot for its nesting. Uh, and then once it's done, other birds use its nest because it's an early nester and they fledge early. Aren't you sorry that you asked? <laughs> no, I'm actually very happy because now we're going to do a show about birds. That's the next oh, show. And, and you'll be on there. Uh, Erica's waving her hand. Go ahead, Erica. I have to say that Tia is our birder for our whole volunteer corps. We have a lot of volunteers. So we all take pictures if we see something very interesting and we send it to her. What is this? And she'll say, it's a blue jay. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> We think I love it's that. some, you know, right. really exotic, exotic thing because it's just a little smaller and the, the colors right, are a little right. different. But few cases I've sent you some and I couldn't even pronounce it. So thank you, Tia. Thank you, Tia, for uh, for your knowledge. That's awesome. This is a great conversation. I could continue talking to you guys for a while, but I know you guys have jobs to do, but I certainly absolutely appreciate your time. Um, does any, anybody have any sort of final parting thoughts or observations they want to share before we take off? Nick, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. I think um, for me, I think that um, being present, we sort of all highlighted on that in in different ways is is really, really important. There's um, a lot of different kids books about, you know, what does it mean to be present, how to be present. And I I think that's really important. So be present, um, set that alarm clock, get up, um, you know, get dressed, do your normal routine, um, schedule, plan as much as possible. Um, and, and for sure, um, you know, I normally say like, Oh, put the phone away, put the cell phone away, be present. But now the cell phone is sort of this medium through which we can connect with other people. So in that sense, keep the phone out. uh, But like the idea of putting the phone away, keep that. So when you're talking to people, don't be playing around with the technology and doing everything like be present when you're um, connecting. And that, that would be um, my biggest recommendation. That's going to help keep you socially engaged. Of course, as you're saying that, I'm typing on my computer and I'm like, I probably look totally disengaged from what you're saying. Anyway, I promise I was listening. So, Erica, how about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, what I really want people to do, and I try to do this every single day, is I try to be purposeful in how I move through my day. And so I don't take any moment for granted. I think about things in a very different way. And I really try to find the beauty in everything that we're doing. And I have a really wonderful job that allows me to connect with people that have stories to tell, um, experiences. Um, Tia and I, among other volunteers, have so many times where we can spend an hour or two on the phone just talking about their lives. Um, And I find it so helpful to me at any point in time, but especially during this time. So I'm listening more, and I'm thinking more, and I'm being a little bit more purposeful. And um, I really appreciate, David, you allowing us to have this conversation today together on uh, this day. It really has been the highlight of my day, I have to say, after I have some meetings after this. But uh, it was a really great way to experience um, getting to know Nick and Tia and yourself in a different way. So thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for saying that. That's I feel very honored and, and um, a little humbled because I guess it's a special day for you. As you mentioned earlier, it's this is the anniversary of your, your work with the AARP. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for your time and joining us today. Tia, how about you? Two things. One, kind of like Nick was saying, be present, but be present to your emotions too, because this really is a, this is a tough time. And, you know, Erica talked earlier about having emotional moments where she would see something and and suddenly would burst into tears. I think we've all got those moments where it's just like, I almost can't get through this. And, and I have a friend who's going through a lot of things with her. And I, I actually would love not to hear about it in a way, but in another way, I know that the gift of her friendship is so important to me that I want to give my ears and I want to give myself and my time and my attention to her. And as my mom used to say, you know, you got two ears, two eyes, but one mouth and use them in that manner. And so it was like really 
listening to other people and really taking in where they are and helping them through that time. I found while I really, what she was talking about was really challenging and emotionally gut-wrenching, but at the same point, I felt when it was done, I really, when she was done talking about it, I felt like, okay, great, you know what? We both got through this. And so I think expressing your emotions, especially where you are, talking to people, talking makes it real, talking takes the fear away um, from things, and it really does help bring things back into scale and, and scope. And if you can articulate it, then you can deal with it. It's when you keep it locked inside yourself that the monster becomes very big. And um, so I think right now that's, that's one of the key things is, is you know, share and, and, and of yourself and, um, and, you know, try and, and be as good a friend as you can to everybody. Be patient, be kind. <laughs> Great advice. And, and I don't know for, uh, for my experience as well, just talking about things, you know, to your point, it's not that, you know, if, if I'm listening to somebody express their problems, it's not that I'm trying to solve their problems. I'm just allowing them to talk just to get it off their chest. And I know a lot of us like to solve our friends' problems, but in this case, we, we can't because we're all sort of in this together. But just being having somebody to be to express some of those concerns to is huge. Um, just to be able to talk about what you're going through. And I know it can be really challenging for us as sort of Americans. We, we love this idea of being individuals and, and sort of like, you know, uh, uh, taking on challenges on our own. And it can be hard to be in this situation and still be a rock for somebody else. But I feel like in times whenever in, throughout my life, whenever I've been um, really struggling internally, whenever I was able to sort of focus on other people, really put my own struggles into, into context, into perspective, because I understand that, yes, my struggles are valid, but, you know, also other people have other struggles that might be more that need attention. And then maybe I'm in a position that I can help them. And then I feel good because I'm actually helping. So if there are ways that we can do that, and you guys have expressed a lot of those ideas, so thank you so much for sharing those with us. I hope all listeners take away from that. So if anybody has some novel ways that they're dealing with the uh, coronavirus or the stay-at-home order, reach out to us. Um, we want to do some podcasts that are talking about the seriousness of the situation, but we're also talking about um, some of the lighthearted things, you know, some fun things, some, some humorous ways that we've been dealing with it, um, because we have to get through this together. We are isolated together. That is the name of the podcast. If you have ideas, please shoot us an email. The email address is qupodcasts at qu.edu, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at qupodcasts. I'm David DeRoche. This podcast was called Isolated Together. We have been talking with Tia Murphy, a volunteer with the AARP. Uh, We've also been talking with Erica Michalowski, uh, Connecticut's Community Outreach and Education Director. And we've also been speaking with Nick Nicholson. He's an Associate Professor of Nursing at Quinnipiac University. Thank you all for joining us. And please reach out to us with any ideas you have. We are isolated together. We can get through this together. Thanks so much. Thank you.